Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean, and this week on the podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different. We had intended to do kind of a wrap up of season two, and our plan was to record that this past weekend, but unfortunately, Lynette has been a little sick, and so we didn't have time to do that. But I've always wanted to do this episode where we kind of look back and kind of summarize or capture in one place some thoughts that are similar. So in this episode, we're actually going to look at or listen to the adoptive voices. And so over the year or so that we've been doing the podcast, we've had a number of adoptees on the podcast sharing their experiences and their stories, answering questions and giving advice. And so we thought that we could pull together this episode that collectively puts those voices together in one place and allows us to see the vast array of experiences and the suggestions that adoptees in the adoptee community have for us and for us in the adoption community to learn. So what we're going to do is kind of go through a couple different topics and jump back and listen to several different adoptees share their points of view. Uh, In the show notes, we'll put links to all of their episodes. As an adoption community, we need to realize and recognize that the adoptee is central to everything that this is about. They're the ones who have lived this experience of being an adoptee. And so for us to listen to them, to hear their perspective, to hear their voice, recommendations, suggestions, struggles, is really important for us to listen, for us to be more well-informed better educated, and really ultimately better able to help adoptees to have the best situation and experience possible. So we're going to jump in and I will kind of set up each of the topics, kind of bridge any gaps that might exist where people are jumping in and sharing. We're going to be kind of all over the board talking about advice that they have in many different regards, what some of the struggles are, what they hope that we as an adoption community can understand about their experiences. Anyway, we really think that you'll enjoy this episode and that you'll benefit from listening to these really, really sweet people who are all adoptees. All right, to get started, we are going to talk a little bit about open adoption this being the open adoption project. We asked several of the adoptees we interviewed about open adoption and specifically those whose adoption started closed and eventually were open. So first we're going to hear a little bit from Sherilyn. Sherilyn was an episode that we did back in season one, episode 11. You should go back and listen to her story. It's great. But we asked her what the benefits were for her adoption opening up. And we also asked if there were any downsides or struggles. Well, I think in general, we haven't really talked about it, but because I grew up in a period when there was a lot of closed adoption, I've seen a lot of trauma. I've I've had a few friends who did not find out they were adopted until they were adults or close to being adults. And it was pretty traumatic for them because I think when you keep a secret, then people think there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And so secrets just, I think, backfire. My parents didn't do this as much, but they probably could. They were very positive, but they also probably could have shared a little bit more about their worries, too. My birth mother and my mother did have a falling out for a while because my birth mother said some not nice things about me. And then that was like the end of that for a while. So everything doesn't just happen simply. And you have to understand when you look for someone that those parents might have kept secrets themselves. Um, that lack of openness can extend to them and the lives that they built. And so I've seen stories where people didn't accept the child when they found him because they didn't want anybody in their life to know that they had gone through that. People ask me my story, and I am happy to tell people my story. So people just want to know, and it's okay. I don't mind. I really mind when people don't ask you questions and then just come to suppositions or think certain things. And so I guess that was the way I was raised. You just ask questions. I'm glad that I found my birth parents. I'm, I also am glad that I was adopted and I'm glad I had the life that I had. It's, 
it's not a perfect life. It's like everybody else's life. I really like that Sherilyn's thoughts revolve around the openness in our conversations around adoption with those who are adopted, especially the parent-child relationship, making sure that they feel heard, that any of their concerns might be addressed, and that they feel comfortable asking questions. And uh, she mentioned that her parents didn't quite do that as much, um, but were still just fantastic parents. I love that she highlights um, in the interview that she loves that she was adopted, she loves her adopted family, and she loves her birth family, and that it's it's all really focusing and centering on love. We asked a similar question to Mary in episode 37, and this is what she had to say. I didn't really know that there was an open adoption. I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, I had one friend who was also adopted. Um, Same situation. She lived in my neighborhood. She looked like her parents. You know, it wasn't... um, we didn't talk about it. I just knew there was someone else like that. Um, two, actually I had two friends and, um, you know, white family, white child there. It wasn't, it wasn't talked about because it wasn't weird. It was just who we were. Um, one of them is a very close friend of mine now. And we talk about it often now about how it would have been really helpful to talk about it. Um, and to openly discuss that. I mean, even, even in a joking manner, like, you know, bring some humor to the situation. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not like my parents or I am, but just to like openly talk about that we came from somewhere else is so healthy. Yeah. Um, And I know not a lot of people would agree with me, but to not speak about it is, I mean, I think it would have been really helpful. And, and probably, I know this doesn't answer your question, but big milestones, just like, I always kind of want want to mention this, but big milestones, like my wedding and graduation, and even like winning a soccer tournament, you know, big things when you're a kid, um, you always wonder. Mm -hmm. So those of y'all that have adopted children, you, the child always wonders, um, if that other mom, you know, would be proud or if that other mom knew, or maybe she's around the corner and like watched that soccer goal. You know, there's always that because it's unknown. Um, and if it's closed, I mean, you don't even have a name or a body, mm-hmm. um, a phone, like you have nothing. It's just an imaginary person. You know, there were some big steps. And when I was finding her, when I like first saw her name and all of a sudden she was real. And then when you first hear the voice, you're like, oh my God, it's a real person. You know I mean? It's very strange when there's no information at all. Um, so I know that didn't answer your question, but that's, that's something like as a child, I almost wish that I had had anything from her that just said like she was proud or she knew what was going on. I really like Mary's comments, especially those revolving around the kind of deep need that adoptees have to connect with their biological family, even if they're really happy in their home situation, even if everything is gone as well as it could, there's still this innate desire to want more, more connection, more information. And I think the adoption community has come a long way with this, but we probably still have some more work to do. We also talked a little bit about this with Milena back in episode 15, who is an international adoptee who has reunified with her birth family and asked her what some of the benefits have been in her personal life now that she does have an open adoption, some connection uh, with her biological family. Seeing people that are like me is probably one of the biggest things, being able to build relationships with them. Because like you said, it's not overnight. It's not an hour. It's to be able to build and to discover. And it's been, I am one of those people that I really love having hard conversations with people like especially in these times, <laughs> like because I feel like it just helps me grow and learn and see their sides of things. And then they can, you know, I mean, obviously it helps if you have somebody on the other end, that's going to be the same way. It's hard if it's just, but like, that's been one of my, I don't know, my favorite things. You just, you learn and I can ask her hard questions that they might not be able to ask her, the other siblings and just know, and you know, she knows with me that I'm going to ask anything and whatever. And, but she also knows that she can ask me things and I 
in the same way back. I think it's really cool that she now has this racial mirror, someone who looks like her, like she said, that now she can ask the hard questions to have conversations that she's wanted to have and get some answers. And while that's difficult, it's really important for the adoptee experience. Back in episode 18, we asked Dakota, who has had an open adoption his entire life, if he felt like it were possible for an adoption to be too open. I think the only opportunity for adoptions to be too open is like when like neglect is, is a factor and um, feelings aren't listened to because I know of people, not in my circumstances, I know of people who are in um, relationships that they don't want to be in, right? Like they don't feel comfortable around their birth mom or somebody, but their parents push that because they're like open adoptions are like the best thing ever, right? Everybody pushes them. Um, Yeah. I feel like open adoptions should be the, the, the default or like the norm, right? And then you have to measure like toxicity and how like mental health is going because I don't struggle with that stuff, but I know that um, adoptees are much more likely to struggle with anxiety, depression, like feeling abandoned stuff like that. Um, So like have those conversations with your kids, whether they're formal or not, like, Hey, do you want to see your birth mom this weekend? If they say no, then you got to respect that, you know? obviously for different reasons, if they just like, no, I want to hang out with Jerry instead. Like, um, we're going to go see your birth mom. Jerry will be there next week. Yeah, for sure. But if it's like, mom, please don't make me do that kind of a thing. Like I've seen that in my life and that's when it's, I I wouldn't say it's too open. It's just like, you have to, you have to keep those relationships sacred or they're going to be ruined so fast. From each of these people and each of their comments, I think we see the importance of solid relationships of open communication of communicating clearly honestly being willing to have the difficult conversations that might need to be had and when that happens their experience is improved the next several sound bites that we'll hear are from adoptees sharing about the struggle of adoption we know that uh, there is trauma involved in adoption in every situation even when it's a great a great thing a child growing up in a home where they feel safe and loved and secure there is still trauma because of the separation from their birth parents so we asked them about their struggles and what they hope we would know in the adoption community to perhaps be able to support them we first hear from jory who we interviewed back in season one episode 25 I just feel like adoption has been portrayed very positively, um, especially through Hollywood. Um, And it's given it such a, you know, a rose color glasses and, you know, rainbows. And that that's why um, people look towards adoption to build their family when unfortunately they don't really know what's coming for them and they have not been prepared for it. I have really fallen in love with the show This Is Us. I have seen so much of myself in Randall and his birth mother story and I have seen so much of myself and the other characters that it has truly been such great thought and conversation openers for the adoption community that, yes, this is absolutely what we needed because it wasn't just the positive or just the negative adoption. It was so intertwined and there's so many facets to adoption that I don't think people really understand unless they're a part of that community. I think adoption has really started to evolve, which I think is absolutely amazing because, you know, not just um, the positive is coming out. I really think that is, um, that's for the better. Um, For those that don't know anything about adoption and they're looking into it, uh, just education, education, education. You know, you might have a home study and you're ready. Like I get so many. Um, and, and I don't mind it, but I get so many um, 
following requests from hopeful adoptive parents and um, messages just even from friends that have adopted and they, they have a situation and they just ask my opinion. I'm grateful I could be one of those voices for them. But education is huge. I, I don't think we can go into adoption blindly. You will really get hurt, I feel like. So yeah, the main thing I would say is education on all types, on grief, on, on trauma, on adoptee trauma, on adoptee statistics, suicide, on adoptive parent grief, um, just, just grief in general, you know? So just so many factors. Part of Jory's struggle is the fact that adoption is glamorized or in Hollywood just really focuses on the positives. And I love all of the suggestions that she makes to educate, to learn, to see what the real um, feelings and emotions and experiences of adoption are. Yeah, there are some really positive and sweet beautiful things in adoption, but there is a flip side to that coin. There are some really hard, tragic, really just difficult moments um, and circumstances. And we need to know that both exist in a space. And sometimes at the same time, we asked Emily in the beginning of season two, episode 27, to share some of her struggles, even though she had a really, really positive experience as an adoptee growing up. And this is some of the encouragement that she had to give. I think I just wish people knew how complicated it is. I don't know what people really think about adoption, but I feel like they don't really think about what that means. And so like, as a mom, I just can't fathom being in a position where adoption is even like I, I try to think to myself okay at what point would I consider adoption for one of my kids and I would bend over backwards to do anything everything I could to not have that so it would have to be such like a desperate situation and I think it just truly is sacrifice and love because I can't even imagine what that would feel like and look like and then it doesn't go away it's not like five ten years later you just get fixed from it like so I always think about that like I wish people sometimes were a little more careful with what they say about birth moms because sometimes people say things like oh I don't know just I don't want to make up examples but kind of insensitive things and it one it kind of hurts my feelings for like my son's birth mom and for my biological family and I don't think people should be judged negatively ever for being a part of the adoption triad. And then I would also say, I really don't like when we tell people, oh, like we adopted or whatever. And they say, oh, he's so lucky. And yeah, I felt lucky as an adoptee, but I don't really feel like my son is lucky. I feel like we are the lucky ones. Like how awesome is it that his mom chose us to parent like the best gift in the entire world like I feel lucky I got he's not lucky I am like I think that's just like a cool part of adoption in a way like someone loves their kids so much that they say here take my child raise him as your own love him forever and ever and ever because right now I can't and I think that's just like the craziest thing that can happen to to humans and I think it's such a blessing, but also what a weight to carry. Like I told someone, I looked her in the eye and said, I will love your baby and do everything I can to make him feel safe and healthy and loved for every day of his life. And that sometimes like that's so overwhelming, but I also feel like it's the coolest thing. Emily voices her struggle of wishing that people knew how complicated adoption really is. And so giving some space for compassion and not judgment is something that we should strive for. In episode 30, Katie, who is a birth mother and an adoptee, had some really similar feelings and thoughts to share. I've seen even adoptees struggle with 
how they view birth parents and I've seen how the world views birth parents. We live in a world that likes to have this very lifetime movie view of birth moms, that we're all drug addicts or that we're um, teenagers or we never wanted our child or, you know, facing a lot of hopeful adoptive parents who are fearful of open adoption because they think that we're going to come find them and take the baby away. Like those things are still so prevalent today, which really blows my mind because we are in such a modern world and I feel like open adoption is very common. Um, and I feel like there are so many people that are using their platforms to talk about how great open adoption is, um, and how it can work that it surprises me that people still just look at birth moms in this shady way. Um, so that's one thing that I wish people would listen to our stories more. And even if you have a different perspective of us, you have to come in with an open mind and open heart, because if you don't, you're never going to grow and you're never going to even listen to what I'm saying or what I'm trying to, you know, teach you through my story. If you're not going to come in with openness. Um, and then too, I would say like just open adoption in general. I think a lot of people are fearful of it, but when two parties respect one another, establish healthy boundaries and intentionally want things to blossom, it works. We also asked Mary in episode 37, what some of the struggles she faces as an adoptee. Uh, I wish people would acknowledge that there is some trauma in adoption and it's not because of the adoptee's childhood. It's not, I had a great childhood. We did anything I needed. We had tutors and, you know, we went on trips. I mean, I was not living in a box cause I didn't belong to these people. You know, I had this beautiful childhood. And so the trauma wasn't there as much as the initial separation from my mom. Um, and just to acknowledge that there's great loss in adoption also, you know, it is this beautiful, it's so beautiful, you know, handing over a child to someone who can't have children or chooses to adopt for whatever reason. And I appreciate that beauty so much, but just make sure that you acknowledge the huge loss that that woman is going through. I mean, the gratefulness is always there. I see these stories and they're so grateful. They're so grateful. They're so grateful. Adoptive parents for this biological mom, but just don't forget, you know, that loss. And again, I think now it's, it's not quite so, um, I think people are really becoming more aware now, um, than it used to be, especially cause you know, the mom a lot, you know, these open adoptions are just, you know, the adoptive mom can call and just say like, how are you? Like, how are you doing today? Versus my parents who had a baby and, you know, couldn't even check on her, you know, see how she was doing. Cause a lot of times these biological moms, they don't have the support at home. That's one of the reasons they give up these children is cause so it would mean a lot you know, to have the adoptive mom call and check in. And so just remember, you know, the other side of it, this beautiful family that you're growing also. Another witness that adoption is beautiful, but also comes from great loss. There's trauma involved. And, and again, that's something we need to make sure that is addressed in the lives of the adoptees in the community. We'll wrap up this section by asking Addie the same question about her struggles in adoption. You can check out our full episode with her in episode 40. I think a big struggle is just accepting it. Cause I think I've definitely accepted it, but like really taking it in and accepting it and being okay with it and being okay with the differences that it comes with. Um, especially too, because I did grow up in such a white town where nobody looked like me. Um, that was definitely a challenge. And I don't think I really started exploring for myself what it means to be Asian American until within the last couple of years. Something really interesting about this comment from Addie is that while the adoption could have happened years, even decades ago, that some elements of trauma or some of the struggles of being an adoptee don't surface until much later in the adoptee's life. And so 
Again, this is something that we really want to stress in our community that there are struggles on all on all parts of the adoption triad. But ultimately, like we've said many times on this podcast, that everything at the, at the end of the day focuses on the experience of the adoptee. And so I'm really grateful for each of those sweet, sweet people and sharing their their struggles and their opinions and thoughts with us. Because trauma is a part of this, we asked some of the adoptees how we can help or how we address trauma. So we'll first hear from Anna Katia, whose episode we just aired a little while ago in episode 49, and then we'll follow her up with an additional thought from Addie. It's okay to research things and study things and like learn of yourself things that you don't understand, you know? And like, even me, like I did try to go learn Spanish, but like that wasn't accomplishable. So I can go learn something else. You know, what we can all help each other with is understanding that us being curious about who we are and what we love and our gifts and talents and what we can give back, especially to, to our community to others. This is why I share my story because it heals me too. It heals, it heals what needs healing, you know, um, and working with trauma, it, it's a sensitive place and it's a precious place, but it's, it's first to be understood as I know as painful as it is, believe me, I've experienced trauma, but as painful as it is, I've looked at it as an honor to become a leader. And if you can use it for good, turn it for good, provide good from it, nothing will be wasted. You, you, nothing you have experienced will be wasted. It will, it will be a force for good. And and that's the force that we need right now in the world. I think my parents did what they could with what they had. There's not a lot of adoption resources, as you know, um, and especially even fewer resources regarding interracial adoption. Uh, so I don't think that any mistakes that they made were intentional or neglectful or, you know, malicious, obviously. Um, but there were mistakes. And just, again, we're it's like considering what town do we grow up in? Because we moved to New Jersey to be close to, to my mom's parents because um, they were just getting older and they needed, you know, help to get taken care of. But the choice of town that we ended up in, I think there could have been more education and awareness around them choosing where we landed. So from educating ourselves, even choosing what neighborhood we live in for the experience of the adoptee are things that we can do to help them with the trauma, uh, trauma aspect of their experience. We're going to switch gears here just a little bit and talk about reunification. Many of the adoptees that we interviewed were originally adopted in closed adoptions and have since reunified with their biological families or their birth families. And one of the questions that we asked them was what advice they would have for an adoptee who might be in a similar situation where they're attempting to connect with their biological family. And these these thoughts are very similar, but also profound and unique at the same time. We'll first listen to Emily. I think the biggest thing I would say is I truly do self-reflection on what you're hoping to get out of it. Because I think that kind of frames how it might look. So like I had a great dad, a great mom. I wasn't looking for like someone to fill a void in a parent role. I wasn't looking for answers to questions that I had about why I was adopted. Yeah, we did talk about that, but I was meeting him because it felt like the right thing to do. Um, But I think if someone was thinking, oh, I don't know, like what if, like what if someone didn't want to be found? Like what if I was the one trying to initiate contact with him and he wanted nothing to do with me? Like how would I feel if that happened? Kind of play like the the what if game, just so that realistic expectations can be set, but that shouldn't scare someone away from trying to reach out to their family. If that's something they're interested in, I would say go for it by all means, like kind of why not, but also be prepared maybe for disappointment, knowing that adoption is kind of complicated 
And I thought it was beautiful that my birth dad is married and has, has kids, but I could see how someone might have their feelings hurt. Kind of like, well, why are you taking care of them? But you didn't take care of me. Um, so I guess you just never know what you're going to find when you start looking or digging, which could be a great thing. You could find out all these amazing things that you also might kind of uncover things you might wish you didn't really know. <laughs> so, and that goes both ways. Like he could look at me and be like, wow, uh, I am not a fan of how you turned out type thing, which wasn't my case, but just everybody's different and you don't know who they're going to be and people change. And sometimes that's for the better and sometimes it's not. But yeah, I, I would say go ahead and try it if it's something someone wanted. I think a lot of people wonder kind of like, where did I come from? Like, what makes me me? Like nature versus nurture. So I think reaching out can answer some of those questions and fill in any gaps that someone might have about where they came from or who they are, what their family's like. And so I think that part is kind of cool. So Emily is really encouraging about reaching out and seeking and just making sure that we know deep down why and that it might not be the ending that we're hoping for. Um, Molly has some similar thoughts and talks a lot about having a support system. Have a really strong support system. Uh, it is an emotional roller coaster, regardless of the outcome. Uh, some people may not find their families, some people might get a secondary rejection. Some people might find them, and even then, it's you know, it's an emotional roller coaster. So I could not imagine going into this without having a really solid support system. And it was one of the things that I said, I'm not going into this unless I've maximized <laughs> every support, which is like me being a little bit social worker. But um, but that's why I found two groups. I have two adoptee groups that I'm in, and I have a therapist. I have great friends, my husband, my sister. Uh, you know, so I have, I have people that are really supportive and the people who are not adoptees themselves, like it's, they're supportive and, and it's just a different kind of support when you have, have people that have gone through it. Mm -hmm. So that is something that I would definitely say, like, it's great to have people for support, whether they're adopted or not, or don't have gone through this or not. I think it's important to have both and a therapist. I'm definitely a big advocate of that. It's just, you need a, a place that's just your own and that you can kind of process and because it can bring up a lot of stuff. And even as much as you might think you're all prepared, like when you get into it, like you're, there's just no way you can like really prepare yourself fully for it. <laughs> so yeah. that would be my biggest advice. And then I'd say also just like be gentle with yourself because uh, it does sort of awaken these parts of you that maybe you weren't really attuned to. And, and so have a lot of self-awareness and, and introspection and just kind of be mindful of that and just be gentle on yourself. Like if you're responding to something a certain way, maybe think about that a little bit, like and how that's related. And that would be the other thing I would say. And that is another reason why it's so important to have some of those other supports I just mentioned so that you can unpack that. Um, also started journaling as well and that's helpful too it's not for everyone but definitely can be helpful so have a good support system and be easy on yourself you're gonna maybe learn some things about you that you didn't know before i love i love that advice from molly and that came back from episode 46 so just a little while ago and in addition we hear from mary who, if you remember, her story didn't quite look like she hoped. She did reconnect. She did find her birth family, but it wasn't maybe what she thought it might be. Um, probably the most important one is um, patience. This is not, I mean, it took me 14 years to connect with mine. Uh, this is not something that just happens. Um, sometimes it does. You know, sometimes you get lucky and you take a 23 and there she is. Um, but also even if you find someone, I was just writing a post about this the other day, even if you find someone, um, take your time with, um, before you act, I think I probably made some mistakes in jumping into, you know, new siblings or new aunts or uncles and wanting to know everything. Um, 
but with my mom, like time was really of the essence. Like, had I not plowed through all the obstacles, like I could have missed her, Yeah, you know, she could have passed and I would have never gotten to her. So, um, time, like life is short. I really take that to heart, but think, think before you jump, because, you know, that's, these are other people's lives you're talking about. <laughs> um, so it does take time though. It, it doesn't all have to happen at once. And, um, just cause it didn't happen this year doesn't mean it's never going to happen. I mean, like I said, when I pulled away on that train, I remember thinking like, this was it, this was the end. And, you know, it took two more years and then, you know, everything sort of happened. So patience is, it's very hard, mm-hmm. but it, you know, I think keep it in mind. I love her encouragement to be patient, patient with ourselves, patient with the process and make sure that we're prepared, that we kind of take things step by step, go slowly so that we don't jump in and do something that we might later regret. Love all of these recommendations or thoughts around reconnecting or connecting with biological family and some of the things that might need to be considered in that process. A few of the individuals that we spoke with are international adoptees and also transracial adoptees, and we could probably fill a whole episode with thoughts about that. But here are just a few snips of takeaways and advice that come from adoptees. So we're going to first hear from Malena, and then she'll be followed by Addie. Um, well, I said do it. I'm going to always say do it, adopt. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for sure, add some of that cultural in there, because that's something that I wish I would know a little bit more about. And I've gotten to learn a little bit more about that I'm older, but my sister, she adopted a little black boy and she immerses him the crap with people. And it's just beautiful because I mean, again, he lives in like white suburbia. He's like the only black kid. And so, but like she takes him to special places to get his hair cut and those kinds, like she does everything she can to make him and luckily he's got an uncle who married in the family who's black so like they you know she always wants him around him too and so that's as i would say just get them involved in their culture because culture is so beautiful and important to every single person no matter what race you are it's complicated and it's messy um like all adoption i think i think that in a lot of cases international adoption does come with the nuance of being interracial, which not all domestic adoption does hit. Uh, obviously it can, um, but with this one, it's literally taking a child who, I mean, at the age of a year and a half, the child does understand language. Um, so it's taking that child out of that environment to a new environment where they're speaking a completely different language, completely different culture. And I think that event really does carry through as the child gets older yeah. um, so I, I think that's a big challenge part of international adoption like i said there is so much to think about when it comes to international and transracial adoption but i think that they highlight a couple things that are important right that adoptees need to have racial mirrors that adoptive parents need to be providing opportunities and support so that they can connect with culture and people that look like them so that they feel like they belong in a community. And there's a lot that we could do to make that happen, but really needs to really needs to just focus on making sure that that the adoptee doesn't feel isolated or alone, that they feel connection to their roots. We're going to transition now into what adoptees feel like are some of the biggest challenges facing the adoption community today and what they wish people understood. We'll first get the perspective from Katie. Yeah, so I think one of the big ones, which might hurt to hear, um, would be that we have, I don't know, I see it a lot in the adoption community that we sometimes unintentionally place ourselves on a pedestal of glorification. Um, You know, that saviorism, complex can really come in. Um, and I've been guilty of it too. I've gone on mission trips before and I've fallen in love with kids and the, you know, 
third world country and I'm like looking up adoption laws because I'm like I want to bring this baby home but I have to quickly check myself because I'm like no 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 this baby needs to stay in there in her community I cannot come in and save her I do not know what she needs um and I don't even know that I'm equipped to raise a child from a different country and so I think that those are things that we need to be asking ourselves when we're looking to adopt, like, am I equipped? Am I doing the work? Am I doing this for me? Or am I doing this because a child needs a loving and safe home? And I think that while those are really hard things, and again, really hard to hear someone call out, it's super vital to providing a loving and safe home. If you're not doing it for the right reasons, if your heart is not in the right place, then you can't be again, open enough to hear the things that you need to do in order to be well-equipped and trauma informed to raise an adopted child. Such wonderful thoughts from Katie, especially from her perspective as a birth mother and an adoptee. Such wonderful thoughts. We'll also hear from Molly as she answers the same question. I think it's just changing this really dominant narrative. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just really everywhere you turn. It's connected in a commercial. It's in a, a good news um, social media feed. It's in a, you know, it's just everywhere. You can't like, you can't really escape it. It's in Hollywood, like this, this sort of, you know, savior narrative that I kind of alluded to before. I think changing that is going to be very, very difficult. And I think that's because a lot of people I think are very people want to you know see things in like a positive way and I think people don't necessarily understand sometimes when you're bringing up something that like maybe challenges that or like isn't completely positive that you're not saying like it's all bad like it's not always just like a black or white situation you know and so I think that that is going to be difficult and I you know I I, I think People get, like I said, that's that, that defensiveness and that fear. It comes from a place of fear and, and people being uncomfortable. It's a lot easier to take in those stories that are the mainstream story than it is to, you know, hear this story of um, trauma or, or pain in some way. That's comes true, like a lot of stuff in our, our culture, you know, you can think about the way we are about like grief. So I think, um, yeah. That is definitely, I think, one of the biggest, the biggest barriers with starting to make some of those other changes. I think it's so interesting that both of these women bring up this saviorism feeling. Um, Ultimately, adoption isn't about the adoptive parent. At least it shouldn't be. It should be all about the child. Dakota and Emily are also going to weigh in here now about what they wish others knew about adoption. It depends why they're trying to understand adoption. Um, if they're looking into like adopting a child or like growing their family through adoption, then there's a there's a lot they need to understand, right? It's not just like, hey, fill out the paperwork. Do you have the do you have the finances to make this available? If not, like here's here's application for like a personal loan. Like that doesn't suffice. Like I don't care honestly as an adoptee, and this is going against the grain of every other adoptee that has a platform that cares about being an adoptee. I don't care why you adopt a child as long as it's the right reason. I think the biggest thing is kind of related to adoption and it kind of isn't. It's just to not give up on your own happiness. And I know that looks different for everybody and it changes. Like when you're five, your happiness might be like, you know, three cookies instead of two cookies. But as you get older, what happiness looks like changes. And I know that there are different barriers and obstacles through every phase of life. Um, but it's worth it to stay true to yourself and your values and form good, positive relationships with those around you so that you have a support system to build you up even when things don't go as planned. And in regards to adoption, that could mean if you're an adoptee in a bad adoptive family, like how can you kind of overcome that and still be a happy adult and a happy person? Or if you had an amazing experience being adopted, okay, fine, I guess maybe it's Happiness isn't related to being adopted then, and that's fine too, but just everyone deserves to be happy. And I think sometimes people just have to work harder for it than others. But I think it's important to kind of overcome any grief and you owe it to yourself, like to get the help you need if you need it. If that's counseling, if that's physically, mentally, emotionally, I'm not sure, spiritually. But yeah, make time for you so that you can be a happy person and make others happy too. 
So adopting for the right reasons and not giving up on your own happiness. Again, these are only two of many, many things that the adoptees in the community hope that others understand. We know that no one is perfect. We know that no adoption is perfect and that there's a lot that we can do and need to do in the adoption community to overcome some stigma, challenges, and difficulties. And so we're gonna conclude by asking adoptees what they think that we could do in the adoption community to improve the situation for everyone. Maybe starting on a small scale, um, investing more in family preservation, first and foremost, you know, providing resources for mothers who maybe don't have access to food or childcare or, you know, even a job. Um, I think that would be the first step is providing those public services to adequate, adequately allow a mother to still care for her child, even if she is in difficult circumstances. I think I would just say, you know, keep listening, you know, wherever you are in the constellation, you know, all our voices can be heard. I, I do firmly believe that, you know, the adoptee voices do need to be elevated because we are the ones living that experience. I'm so glad that we're seeing like two like more first parents um, share their stories as well. But I think that we still need more of that and just normalize talking about some of these things that are not, you know, tied up in a little, in a little bow. I think that we need to normalize some of these more difficult, uncomfortable conversations. The thing is like, if, you know, sharing sharing like what you're learning and people listen and respect when people that they know telling them something or teaching them something. And we need to use that, you know, this is time where people need to use that and always centering uh, adoptees. You know, we are, you know, the lived experience. We're the group of the lived experience. Mm -hmm. So um, centering that, understanding that things can coexist. I mean, that's been one of the biggest lessons that I've like been learning. It's like, I can love this thing, but also be so horrified by this thing. You know, it's just like, I can, I can love my adoptive parents and I can also have this love for my biological family. Um, I can be very disgruntled, you know, with, and, and sort of horrified a lot of the time with like the adoption industry, but also still love my adoptive family, you know, and I can, um, I, there's just a lot of things that like this, all these dualities, you know, and all these nuances. Um, I think we just need to give a lot of space for those. And um, as someone's telling you about their trauma or their story, just listen and try to learn from that, you know, because it doesn't mean they're saying you're bad or everything's bad. It just, it's just people trying to bring awareness to some things that just have not gotten any awareness. I feel like there couldn't be anything more important than care for everyone involved. Um, adoption is not a cure for um, infertility. It's not, it's not a cure-all for being childless. It's, it's, it's so many things wrapped up into this package. And I, unfortunately, you know, I, I didn't know this then, but, you know, being almost 13 years in my, you know, you know, better than you do better. And so my language, my, my thought process, everything has kind of shifted to, yes, I had a great adoption experience and, you know, so far my daughter's is really great, but everyone doesn't have that. And what is key is that education is that support system is therapy because adoption is trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think back, especially when I was adopted, that wasn't a term they used, but it still existed, but no one knew. I was placed with my family when I was six months old, but when I was, a, was placed with them, I wasn't smiling. I, I had this, I was going through a transition and I actually got sick at one point and I was in the hospital and my mom never left my side. And she tried to tell the doctor and the agencies that they had went through that like, there's something going on. Like my daughter's not smiling. She's, you know, that there's a transition going on and they didn't want to believe it. They didn't, they didn't know what it was. 
And so she did what she thought was best and just bonded with me. And I, I think for me, you know, that made all the difference. But I think also if, and she said it too, um, talking about it, if she had known or seen anything when I was younger, that I had, that I had more questions that I, that I wasn't happy that, you know, that she would have gotten me counseling when I was younger, which I think is pivotal because that gives adoptees someone to talk to, because a lot of times as adoptees, we feel like we have to have this gratitude that we have to just be thankful for the thing for our families and the things that we have, not to say that we don't, of course we are, but we also have these attachment wounds that no one can really speak to. And I didn't start seeing a trauma therapist until I was 33 years old. And it has been the best adult decision I've ever made for myself and to work through those attachment issues and to work for work through those early traumas I had early on that I had no idea that I had and what a not tooting my own horn, but what a, the growth and the change and the, um, the things that have come about in the past year because of me um, working through those things that I've made that I had wish I could have had so many years ago, you know, cause again, you don't know what you don't know, but now I do. And, you know, I've talked a couple of times to my daughter's mom about, you know, her possibly going and she can see the benefits in it. And I just, I just wish so many other people, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's okay for them to talk about feelings um, that they have and they're healthy. So I just, I really, as an adoption community, I can't stress enough learning how important mental health is on all sides of the triad and how much better we could be as a community if we allowed those voices to be heard. Because a lot of times during, you know, November National Adoption Month, during Mother's Day month, that adoptee and birth mother voices kind of get drowned out when those are the voices that really mean so much. Such a big thanks to Addie, Molly, and Jory for those last thoughts. Well, that's going to about wrap up this episode. Again, we wanted to pull back some of these sound bites, some of these clips from these adoptees because this is what it's all about. We need to know the experience adoptees are having so that we can make the changes in our personal lives and in the community so that we better the experience for the adoptees. So to each and every one of those that we interviewed previously, that we brought back uh, for this interview, we just want to sincerely thank and thank each of you for listening. We will be back next week with our season two finale. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project.